our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand-Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen. And just watching that, it made me break out into hives a little bit because I think it's the eternal question, Dr. Dr. Doreen. And I don't know that I've asked you this in 11 years of being on the air with you. Everybody says your name in a million different ways. How do you actually say your last name? That is a funny question. And first of all, good morning, Shannon, and good morning, everyone. So, you know, my name is originally Iranian, right? My last name is Iranian. And so the actual pronunciation of the last name is Geron Piche. But in English, if you put G-E-R-A, then it, then it becomes very confusing, right? And people wonder if it's J or G or how do you pronounce it? So when I grew up in England, we just turned it into Grand Piche. And that's how you say it, Grand Pichet. Grand Pichet. All right. I don't know that I've ever said it properly. So anyway, welcome yeah. after after like knowing you for almost 20 years and you saving our lives repeatedly. Now I ask, how do you pronounce your name? It's a good <laughs> Thanks, question. Yeah. Uh, so thrilled to have you here with us this morning. And for those of you who are just tuning in, we're live. It is the 5th of July. We just celebrated the 4th yesterday here in the States. Uh, we're here with Dr. Gran Pichet. Did I get it right? Not oh, quite. Yeah, you, yeah, you're great. Thank uh, you. And she is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40. No, I said four zero, not 14. 40 <laughs> years. She's been working with people all over the spectrum and people who love people on the spectrum for that long, working with small babies, senior citizens, and everything in between. She's devoted our, her life to us and our community and our families, which is an amazing thing and has really, I know, changed my life. And I know you guys write and tell me all the time how she changes yours. So we're thrilled that she gives us this hour once a week. She's actually literally in an undisclosed uh, location on, on vacation, vacation. Yeah. <laughs> but, but said, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it from vacation um, because she wants to be here. So we're saying good morning to her. We also want to let you know that the chat is open. Open. You guys, if somebody was in and, and writing in early, and I'm going to reward them and get to their question first, but I'm saying good morning to Christina and Amanda and to the 2008 uh, person who wrote in earlier. And yes, Amanda, write your question in. Get, get the questions in early. She says, I have a question if there's time. Write it in early. 
So, uh, but I want everybody to know we're, we're live right now in a bunch of different formats. We're live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and a dozen other places or so. And then remember that this show will be podcast later on to every place that you get your podcast. It's a free download. We have shifted a little bit. So if you're on iTunes and you're trying to load the video portion, we've removed that. And we're encouraging you, if you want to watch the video podcast, head on over to YouTube. They have all of your needs ready for you there. You can even do the YouTube app on your smart TV now, which is super fabulous. And we love that. So but we are still on iTunes. We're still on Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those places. If you want to do the audio portion of the podcast and we do the whole, when we do the, the, show in podcast. We send the whole show out on podcast. But if you just want to go over to YouTube, we do a highlight reel. Traven is amazing how many highlight reel things he cuts out so that it's just short things and you can search them by topic. Good morning to Laurie as well. I'm going to get started with the question, Dr. Grampy-Shay. Oh, I do have to say that while Dr. Grampy-Shay is a true expert in this field, there is no expert in any field that could give individual specific advice in this format. So we all just recognize that in being kind and considerate and professional and realizing that if you don't have eyes on a situation, you're not able to give individual specific advice. It's just the thing. So, but ask Dr. Grampy Shea your questions and ask her and give her as many details. We love it when you ask questions live and stick around so she can ask you questions and then we get to more things. Is that right, Dr. Grampy Shea? Yes, absolutely. We'll do our very best. Well, you're amazing. So, and then a bunch of questions just came in, but I'm going to get started with the one that came in earliest this morning. My son knows the steps, how to clean himself after a bowel movement, but does not clean himself voluntarily. When we provide him with toilet paper, he just tosses it in the toilet, uh, but he does not clean himself. When we do it hand over hand is the only time he actually will clean himself. What do you do to make him understand that it's important to clean himself after a BM and thank you and advice? And can I just say, but it's cool that he gets that when the toilet paper, you know, that that goes in the toilet. Well, that's one step of it, right? Mm -hmm, I'm absolutely bright side of things. Uh, But how can we help this family with this particular issue? Yeah. So a lot of times we try to teach things kind of as they're happening in real life. And that's a little bit difficult. Um, So the best thing is to think of the actual action or or behavior that you would like him to learn and i think uh, and i might be wrong because we don't know the specifics but i think it is just the action called wiping and so it would be important to produce a situation where he can practice just wiping and cleaning something with the instruction wipe So you can do that now with many different things. For example, you can have a doll and you can, you know, make it dirty and give him a tissue and uh, show him wipe, but just give the instruction wipe and show him how to do it and then gradually fade yourself out so that he has learned the specific action called wipe. And then you can do it with a lot of other things as well. And then he will have an idea of what that 
actually means to wipe, right? And then when you're in vivo, let's say, or in the real life situation, uh, it'll be a lot easier for you to fade out of the hand over hand because now he has a concept of what it means when you just give the instruction wipe. So uh, that's what I would do. I would practice it in a lot of different scenarios and then go back to the real life situation and then start to fade out your hand over hand prompt. There we go. There was uh, at one point we had to do the the thing. I don't agree with this, by the way, but because uh, I think for some kids, they can start to obsess on other things. But they had the hot dog buns and they put the peanut butter in the hot dog buns and told mm-hmm. him to wipe it out. I don't yeah. want to mix food with the poop thing, because then then there were then there are kids who later on go, well, let peanut butter taste good. Let me taste the other. I don't want to encourage that. But I love the idea of the doll. Yeah, I mean, there's, if you think about it, Shannon, we wipe a lot of things. We wipe the table clean. We wipe a ton of things. But it's just that, you know, like you have to actually have the instruction and the action go together in a separate type of setting so that the child or the adult learns what is the instruction to wipe and then they can apply it to the real life situation. And obviously we want to reinforce when they're doing the wiping either on themselves or, or uh, um, on the wiping on the table always, or wiping off always. the dog. Reinforce, right. reinforce, reinforce. Because I know I forget that. Uh, okay. I want to get to Amanda's question. My son 13 is doing all kinds of new things. He mm-hmm. used to not answer up us if he was in another room. Recently, he has been answering us from another room, but not extremely loud enough for us to hear him. I want to ask, I want to ask his new BCBA to write a goal for this. Any thoughts or ideas on that? That's interesting. And then we can teach that to my husband. (laughs) That's awesome. And congratulations. That's a great step. So, um, you know, this is very similar to the previous question where you really want to teach the concept of loud uh, before trying to apply it to this particular scenario, right? So in a, in a kind of made-up situation, in an experimental condition, you can sit with him and practice saying something soft and then saying something loud. And you can go back and forth so that he gets the idea of soft versus loud. And you can do that uh, with modeling. You can do it with uh, turning music or a radio down and up. You can do it in a lot of different ways. But the idea is that you get to a point where when you're sitting in front of him, not in another room, but just in front of him, and you say, you tell him, can you say something softly or can you say something louder? He gets that idea and he understands what it means to be louder, means you have to exert more air and so on. And then you will now try it with you in the other room so that when he starts answering things and no one's in front of him, all you have to do is just shout louder, please. And then he'll start to get the idea. But, you know, the the concept of this is an easier way to do it than teaching the concept of, oh, uh, someone who's in the other room can't hear you. Because that takes like second order theory of mind, which is kind of a very advanced concept. 
But just teaching the idea of loud and soft is a pretty easy concept to teach. There you go. There you go. Absolutely love it. Okay. So Christina has written in and said that her son, who is six years old now, uh, has started uh, scripting. She wants to know, how can I get help to get rid of a script that my son picked up? It's a violent phrase. It was something he heard on a TV show. He says it randomly. It's a new behavior that could be taken wrong and others might be afraid of him, but I don't quite know what to do. It just started this weekend. Yeah. So there's a couple of things. The way that I used to always handle scripting, because if you think about it, kids in general, they do script. The only difference is they introduce where the script came from. So like typical kids, when they're talking, will say, you know, uh, they'll repeat a phrase out of something they saw but they'll say, hey, remember that show, blah, blah, blah. They'll give an introduction to the script. And then the audience, whoever it is, kind of tunes in and then is in the same place as they are so that they can script back and forth and have fun with it, right? But sometimes our kids will just blurt out a script and we don't know where it's from. And as Christina said, it could be taken the wrong way. So one thing you could do is you could teach him an introduction to the script. So he could say every time he's about to say the script, you will actually have him model and say wherever it's from. Like, I saw the show, blah, blah, blah. And then he can say the script or, you know, this character said blah, 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 so that he can put a framework around the script so that people know where it's coming from. So that's kind of one way to handle it, depending on what the script is and if you can catch him before he actually does the script and so on. Otherwise, if, if it's too difficult to do it that way, then I don't recommend like, uh, you know, trying to stop a script because that can become a little bit, if, if it's attention seeking or if he's doing it in order to gain some sort of interaction with you, then this, if you try to stop it, it can actually get worse. So another thing you could do is potentially replace it with another script. But again, if you're going to do that, I really recommend that you try to teach an introduction to the new script, which if you think about it, if you listen to kids talking, and I think I know that Christina's uh, son is pretty young, if I remember correctly. Six. He's six. Six, yeah. So if that's the case, you really just want to give an introduction to it and just try to put it in a contextual place. So she wrote in what the phrase is. I don't know if you can see it on your screen. The phrase is, if you don't knock it off, I'm going to stab you. Yeah. Um, so if she, she doesn't know where he saw it. She doesn't usually expose him to things that are like that. But he could have picked it up from another kid. Like, you know. But- so try different introductions to it, Christina. Try to see if you can give him, like, somebody said, I heard Something like this, you know, at school, I heard if you don't stop, I'm going to whatever. Or on TV, I heard blah, 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 or something like that. And sometimes just putting, having our child 
uh, adds something to the beginning of it, takes away from its rote, repetitive uh, format, and then they're no longer interested in doing it, quite honestly. So try that, because otherwise the only other thing you can do is uh, try to replace it with like a very positive script, you know, like something that he can say whenever he sees people. That's the other thing. I don't know exactly when he says it, to whom he says it, like under what conditions does he use that script? I'm just trying to catch up with Christina. Yeah. I don't know where this one came from. Usually don't. Yeah. Yeah. She says, I'm just trying not to give attention to it, uh, to do a read or to redirect. Yeah, um, you can. And if, if it goes away, great. If it doesn't go away, put it in a contextual environment, add some context to it by trying to figure out where he heard it. And along the same line, Laurie has written in and said, my son who was five years old keeps talking about poop. Uh, we ignore it and it goes away, but it's right then right back at it. Yeah. And you know, it's hard because our like sometimes with our kids, it's very hard to explain to them the concept of a subject that is appropriate or not appropriate. We did write a lesson for this. I just don't know if, you know, you have to, be at a certain level where you understand enough language to be able to actually recognize the words appropriate. The, the lesson that we wrote was actually had to do with levels of relationships. So in other words, there are certain things, and you can do this visually too. So you, there are certain things like you draw a bubble and you have like your immediate family, let's say mom and dad. And then what are some things you can say with mom and dad and maybe siblings? And then you have a bigger circle, which is like people I know at school or friends. What are some things you can say to them as an example? And then you make a bigger one, which is like teachers and adults that you barely know. And what are some things? And through that sequence, we began teaching the idea of, you know, levels of relationships and what is appropriate to each level. But this is a pretty advanced concept. So depending on if this is too complex for your child, then it won't work, right? And you then you basically just have to teach the child other more appropriate statements. And as Christina had also said, uh, try not to give attention to the conversation about poop. And, you know, the good thing is it does go away. And I'm not sure, maybe there's something in his environment that he's hearing that brings it back. Well, well, I mean, I used to be a stand-up comedian. And there's a thing in stand-up comedy that, you know, when all else fails, there are certain subjects and certain words that you go to. There's a whole thing among among comics that are like, well, when all else fails, you drop an F-bomb. Because yep. it gets a reaction, right? And, and when you're a five-year-old and people, yep. you know, you want to get people's reaction, well, if you say poop, people turn around. People yep. in line at the bank turn around, people in the grocery yep. store, your teacher, your friends. Um, and, and if you don't know why that is, uh, you know, it's the equivalent of an F-bomb. Absolutely. And, you know, the the hard part, Shannon, is that our kids don't experience embarrassment as, as early as they probably should, neurodevelopment mentally. So 
they say these words and they kind of enjoy the negative, even if it's negative attention, even if yeah. someone turns around and like gives them a dirty look, they don't necessarily recognize that. And we'll just think, oh, wow, I got attention right now. So it is a very hard one. And we've had that multiple times. These phrases are difficult to replace. And oftentimes, honestly, uh, just changing the conversation, going on to some other conversation is probably the best way to go. I absolutely love it. Um, okay. And um, I want to, I lost my track a little bit here, but Parker says, here's a question for both of you. I'm volunteering at, M, uh, at my church's vaca uh, vacation Bible school and have to wear an inflatable koala suit. I need a picture, Parker, first of all. Uh, the problem is that the children freak me out. What can I do to uh, to be good, to do good with this opportunity? That is the sweetest thing ever. I might even need video, Parker. I know. So, Parker, tell me a little bit more about how, why the children or what aspect of the children freak you out. Let's talk about that um, so we can understand a little bit better what's going on. But, you know, good for you. I'm so proud of you for volunteering and doing all these amazing activities out there. And, and I want to know, because, you know, uh, when you're in one of those infl inflatable suits, and for any of you who've ever been a T-Rex in an inflatable suit, you have a, a limited amount that you can see, and yeah. you're you, you're getting pressure from the, the fan. And, and, the yeah. and when there are short people, you can't always see them, but then, then they will crash into you because you're a balloon. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if there's an element the to that. And there's always like a fan inside your costume, mm -hmm. which makes a pretty loud sound, which might be disturbing as well. Let's learn from Parker what it is yeah. that's actually bothering him. He says, I don't like the crying. And in the suit, I'm afraid of punching and kicking the person in the suit. And I will be sure to email you pictures, Shannon. Okay. <laughs> but so um, are you afraid of them kicking and punching you? Because sometimes the kids do because they think it's a punching bag when it's an inflatable yes. suit. Yes. Um, is that part of what the issue is, Parker? Or, or um, maybe and the crying. Maybe we can talk about the crying because some kids yeah. cry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a really, really tough situation, Parker, because if you have, if you're kind of sensitive to the sound of the crying, you know, you're, you're pushing yourself, which is wonderful. And we all grow from pushing ourselves in these situations, but I guess I would just request some assistance and maybe talk to the folks at the church and ask that perhaps an adult be around when you are with the kids so that they can help kind of monitor the kids, you know, hush them a little bit or guide them a little, control them a little bit. And that might give you enough of a sense of safety to gradually acclimate to the situation. That's a great idea, Dr. Grampichet. In fact, you know, at Disneyland and any park like that where they have a costume character, because of the limited ability to see and hear and because you're kind of a beetle on your back and you can't like help yeah. yourself and you can't see things, they never send anyone out into the public unless they have a handler with them. Yeah. And that yep. person is responsible for the safety of everyone and to be your eyes and ears. And when you're walking they hold your hand and walk you to a place because you literally can't see everything around yeah. you. You could step on a child, ask for a handler. I love that. Uh, okay. Um, 
Parker says, I was punched once before while playing a villain at another church's VBS, and I don't want that to happen again. I can understand you why you'd be afraid. Uh, yeah. Of course, of course. That can be traumatic. But again, that makes me even more proud of you for putting yourself out there and you know wanting to get over that situation. Great job, because sometimes we develop these fears from a trauma, like a bad experience, and then we never actually go through the situation again to get ourselves over the fear. And what you're doing is you're giving yourself the opportunity to overcome this fear. And uh, if you can get the church to provide an adult or someone who can, as Shannon said, be the handler, I'm sure you can do it. You'll, you'll do very well. We, hey, we have Dr. Mary Barbera, who is watching with us. She is the amazing woman that I was talking to you about, Dr. Grampiche, that we had on the show last week. If anybody missed uh, her episode, it was absolutely amazing. She was a, she's a mom um, right. with, with someone on the spectrum. She was an RN and then decided to become a BCBA. I'm in awe, uh, absolute awe. And um, so she has a book, Turn Autism Around, and we, we traded books. And she says, hi, Shannon, read half of your new book on the beach this weekend, and it's amazing. Thank you. Um, my question is, how do we teach parents how to spot bad ABA um, and as BCBAs get more good, great ABA out in the world? Isn't that the quintessential question, Dr. Grampy-Shay? Really, what a great question. Um, and of course, Shannon and I have spoken a lot about good or great to ABA. And as a BCBA, I'm sure you'll kind of appreciate that, you know, I guess good ABA starts with uh, just understanding the concepts of behavior analysis well, understanding how to change behavior well. So having a really in-depth understanding of it. But then for me, um, it I think you cannot be a good provider of ABA unless you um, see the individual that you're working with as a whole human being. And for me, that is crucial because, uh, you know, the human being is an organism that has a lot going on with it. And trying to control one behavior or alter one behavior at a time requires us to think of a lot of things like how is this individual sleeping? Uh, How is this individual feeling from a mental health perspective? Do they have anxiety? Um, Are they, you know, fearful of certain situations that they've had traumatic experience with before? Uh, how, How are they doing internally? Do they have biomedical issues? As a nurse, I'm sure you'll appreciate that a lot of our Uh, Patients have a lot of biomedical issues that we're not really dealing with because they have a difficult time expressing those to us. So uh, is the individual feeling well, you know, and also, of course, are there any allergies? Are there any situations that are making this individual feel tired or uh, hyper aroused or so on? So to me, all of those things matter significantly. And then, of course, you know, good ABA providers have to just have respect uh, for the individual and for the individual's family and uh, to, you know, try to, I've had so many BCBAs where they're argumentative with the family because 
their perspective is a little bit different than what the family wants or the individual wants. And that's, to me, extremely important, Shannon. You know, when we talk about, and there are a lot of uh, people on the spectrum who say, I don't, you know, what if I don't want to be changed? And that is something extremely important to respect and to say, absolutely. I mean, the whole purpose of ABA is to help an individual do more, thrive, feel better, succeed, etc. And if an individual feels that they're doing great, then, you know, you, you don't need to embark on the whole world of ABA. So there's there's a lot there. And, and there's we could say a lot more. I mean, there's you know, good training of the staff, knowing how to follow a good curriculum. So you're teaching chronologically and and by age level and so on. There's so much detail that goes into a good program. And I thought you were going to bring up and you didn't because you're kind, but I'm going to bring it up that, you know, we have written something that we keep saying we're going to put out, which, which tells parents, here are some hallmarks of a good ABA program. And, and I just need to dust that off and put it back out. Um, because I think it's this conversation that we had with last week's show where I was saying, look, you know, there's a lot of bad information out there about ABA, but I always equate it to third grade. And and I said last week, we've all been to third grade. And if I asked how many of you had a traumatic experience in third grade, many of you would raise your hand and say, oh, I, or maybe it wasn't third grade. Maybe it was sixth grade. You had a teacher who was subpar or horrible, right? But but, we can all relate to it. We've all it's not an urban myth. There's some bad teachers out there, but we never say, well, let's just cancel school. Let's do yeah. away with third grade. Let's, you know, but people do that about ABA. And I think the reason why is we don't do it about education. and We do do it about ABA is that in education, you understand it's not always going to be good and you fight the system and you try to make it better, but you understand the basic principle of it is that it's going to help kids. Um, whereas ABA, if you don't have enough knowledge about what ABA is and you hear a bad story, you go, well, that's all of it. You don't have that contextual enough experience to understand that there's really good out ABA out there and what the benefits of it could be. So you just hear a bad story and you go, Oh, I don't want that. But I, and I think, and I think that you and, and I and Dr. Barbera are also on this same page where we feel like if we empower parents and say, here are some things you should look for. But I always want to say to parents, if you are someplace and you don't feel like you're on the team and you don't feel like your child is being looked at as like as an individual, like what Dr. Grampichet was saying, and an individual in terms of everything, how they feel inside and outside, if you're not feeling that with your team, then listen to your gut. Something's yeah. not right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I totally agree with that. You have to always go with your instinct as a parent. I completely agree. And and if your kid is thriving and happy and engaged and you mm-hmm. walk in the door and people are nice to you and they treat you like a person and ask you questions about what choices you want, those are all the opposite of that. And that's probably, you know, I mean, I think we always have to be diligent. Just like when you take your child to first grade, I don't just assume that everything is going to go swimmingly at school and the teacher is going to be fabulous and responsive to my child and automatically love my child. Yeah, I, I want to see what's happening. And if there's an issue, I address it. Right. And sometimes we get to the point where we go, "Mm, this teacher is not a good fit. And I think we should be looking at ABA that way, too. 
Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think with education, we just kind of take it for granted because everybody is in school and we're like, this is what we're supposed to do. But ABA, we're more, we, we scrutinize it a little bit more. Uh, and Dr. Barbera has written in and said, agreeing about the science as well, the focus on the whole child medical issues, respecting parents and the child not being argumentative. Love that. Uh, also love what Shannon is saying. I, I think we are kindred spirits. Um, Andre says, hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. I think this, this one cuts me right to the core. Sometimes I find myself in conflict between putting too much pressure on my son with his intervention demands and just accepting him the way he is. Is there a balance? Andre, I am hugging you and telling you that you are a part of our tribe. But I think this is where it's all at, right This is a great question, Andre. This is a fabulous question because I think a lot of people probably struggle with this as well. I mean, I know like even with typically developing kids, you as a parent, you can go to extremes, right? You can completely let the child just do nothing. Or you could be a parent who is wanting to teach their child every sport and every language and every musical instrument and everything there is under the sun. Now, with our kids, what happens is obviously with the interventions, there's very little time for them left to do just free time, right? So I think it becomes really important to balance out priorities and to write them out, actually, and talk to yourself. Like sometimes parents will say to me, uh, you know, can we make sure that he learns math? In fact, I'm going through this right now with a family that I'm working with. And they really want their child to learn math. And uh, the child doesn't speak yet. And I told them, I'm happy to teach him math, but give some consideration to which one is more important to you, uh, communication, language, or math. Because, you know, you sometimes you just have to select and you can't, you just, there's not enough time to do everything. So I would say what you should do is you should take a look at your child's basic needs at this particular time, right? And so, you know, what are some, and and the way I I look at it is just consider skill areas that need strengthening. So for example, does he need work on speech and language? Does he need work on social uh, behavior, communication, play, that sort of thing? Um, Is academics an issue right now? Uh, Depending on his age, some of the priorities could be uh, safety uh, issues or, you know, daily living, adaptive behavior at home. What are the priorities of things that you would like him to focus on and learn? That's one thing. And then what are some of the additional things that you kind of have to do in real life? Like, for instance, a lot of times kids are school age. So now we kind of have to add some academics to their schedule. We don't have a choice. That's just the way it is. And we have to have a certain amount of time for academics. So that is another consideration. And, and then when you've done all of that, of course, you will look and say, well, I really also want to have, let's say, an hour a week or, you know, four hours a week where it's just nothing and it's the whole family 
and we're just having fun and goofing around and, and enjoying doing nothing. And so you write all those things out. And when you have them on like a visual, you'll come to, you'll f- and start reducing one and increasing the other and see how you feel, right? Because sometimes a parent will be like, God, I got, I think I, I'm giving him now too much free time and I'm kind of getting nervous because the language stuff is falling behind. Or the other way around, like it sounds like you, you feel like you want to give him a little bit more free time, which is completely fine. The other thing, so once you've balanced that, one thing I want you to remember is that if you're doing intervention like ABA, for instance, where it's like intensive tutoring, it is supposed to also be fun. It's not supposed to be an aversive activity. It's supposed to be interactive, packed with reinforcers. Uh, It's almost like, you know, when ABA works, you feel like the child has found his tribe and they understand him and he cannot wait to do this therapy because it's so much fun. So, and if that's not the case, then you need to kind of have a conversation with your ABA team or whatever team, honestly, your school team, your speech team, whatever they are, And just tell them, I need you to make it a little bit more rewarding because he's spending a ton of time with you. And I really want him to have a little bit more fun than than he is right now. Or reduce that activity, increase reinforcers during that activity, give him more breaks. There's lots of ways that you can kind of manipulate his day and schedule so that you feel he is not getting too much and he is enjoying it, and he's still learning. Um, and, and of course, that the whole family feels like you're paying attention to important things like fun time and family time. Yes, we love the fun. We did a whole show about that last week, about prioritizing the fun. And I want to say that, you know, I loved everything that you said, Dr. Grampy-Shea, but there's the other part of it where I, I see that in my tribe of parents, There are those of us who we've worried for so long, we don't know how to stop worrying. And I just want to say, you know, so Dr. Grampy-Shea told you all the things to consider, but but she told you that your child has to be having fun. So I want to say to the parent, you also have to have fun. That uh, Temple Grandin said to me that the most important thing that I needed to be doing was having time that I spent with my husband where we didn't worry about autism, didn't talk about autism. I'm still trying to figure out how to do that. Like, like I don't, I don't want to pretend for anybody that I figured that out. But I think that those are the things that are important. And we were taught to celebrate every single moment that we could. And I will say that that's my favorite thing about my family is that our little family, which is only three people, we found ways to just celebrate. Whether it was when the day of therapy was over, we would put on one song and just dance until the song was over. And then we would start dinner and bath time and all the bedtime ritual stuff. Um, Or, you know, sometimes we went to Disneyland and, and it was like, you know, that's going to be the thing that we're going to do because we live close to Disneyland or, you know, go to Chuck E. Cheese or something where you take a moment out and say, we're going to prioritize this 
because we have to model having fun and relaxing for our kids or they don't know how to. And that's, you know, so I'm sending you a hug because I think a lot of us um, live in the neighborhood of what you were talking about. Yeah. And I, it's so funny you mentioned that Shannon and I, you know, now that my kids are adults, they all remind me of times that they had the most fun, like memories. Yeah. And it's always times when I was having fun as well. So it's very interesting that kids actually have a tremendously good time if you're also happy and your anxieties or your fears or sadnesses also do affect them quite a bit. And it doesn't have to be. I mean, I'm sorry that I said Disneyland because that seems like such a you know huge thing. It doesn't have to be that. We I was talking with my son recently about good times that we remember. And one of the most fun times was when we had a terrible storm here in LA. It was gale yeah. force winds and stuff. And we were driving home and I was actually worried and I didn't want my son to know that we were worried. So we decided to play the drive home like it was a video game. Yeah. And when the, when the palm fronds would come, we would go incoming and, you know, and yell and, and, you know, change lanes to get around it and laughed the whole way home. And, and, he, he, loved was, it. Yeah. and he said to me the other day, I think of that sometimes times when I'm in a real situation about how can I make it fun to get through it. That's a great life lesson. Amazing. Uh, I need to do more of that. Mary <laughs> says, hi there. My son is 20 years old. And when he gets frustrated, and I think that that's it, he starts pounding his chest mm-hmm. and I can't seem to redirect him at that moment because he's upset. Obviously, how can I help him to get away from this type of behavior? And thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough situation, Mary, because uh, we do need to figure out a little bit more about what it is that's causing him frustration. Um, All challenging behaviors, in my opinion, are trying to communicate something, and often it's frustration. So we, in order to get rid of that, you need to kind of figure out if he could talk, what would he say? instead of pounding his chest. That's the secret to it, right? If he could talk, what would he say? And if you can figure that out, you can actually model that for him. You can, as soon as you see the behavior, the challenging behavior, the hitting of himself starting, you would instead have him model after you, vocalize after you, or or point to an icon, depending on his level, Um, and express that thing which would reduce his frustration. So, I don't know, like maybe it's something like um, it's too noisy in here or it's something like I'm hungry or it's something like I just don't get this or I need a break or any of those things. And the reason, you know, he expresses it and then you give it to him. You make the situation not so frustrating and that's how we avoid those types of behaviors. I don't want you to figure it out and just give it to him because then hitting himself becomes the mode to communicate with you. And that's not what we want. We want him to express it either vocally or through an icon, through typing some way. We want him to communicate what it is that's frustrating to him so that you can then relieve his frustration. So it never gets to the point of uh, hitting himself. 
Yes, it's really important to be working on that. Dar has written in, and I'm not sure that I understand exactly, but maybe you can help me decipher it. Hi, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. My son always jumps and runs here and there before going for potty. I've tried so much to make him sit on the toilet seat and go for potty. Can you suggest anything? So I'm unclear, Dar, if you're if you're still there. Um, is it that he's running around before going to the potty, but then he eventually goes to the potty or he runs around and he never gets to the potty. He won't sit on the potty. What do you think, Dr. Crampy? Yeah, I'm, I'm unclear as well, but there is a behavior that I've seen, um, that occurs sometimes when children are trying to actually hold themselves and they're trying to prevent themselves from going to the potty and they'll run back and forth real quickly so maybe Dar can uh, clarify for us and tell us a little bit more of what it is. Okay. And Amanda has written in several scary things. One, that she, there was a post this morning about an SLP who told a mom that ABA was a cult, glass walls, no parents allowed. Oh, it just makes me furious. Um, and Amanda says, I've had a BCBA that told me there was no data behind the diet. I've had many BCBAs who've told me that, uh, Amanda, we work slowly to change the world. Right? Yeah. yeah. It takes uh, a long time. It takes a long time. And there's a lot of it's unfortunate. I, yeah, and just just so you know, like one of the I'm very, very sensitive to that because a lot of BCBAs continue to tell parents uh, negative things about both diet and biomedical and even sensory. And uh, it is it takes a while. You know, I have uh, worked with the Association for Behavior Analysis International, where all the BCBAs go every year for their conferences um, and they have been generous enough to invite a medical professional every year who gives a, a very, you know, detailed speech about the biomedical interventions, dietary interventions, and so on. So, as Shannon said, gradually we will get to a point where everybody will learn to work together. And Miriam had written in some stuff to us and we have to give her an apology because she sent some stuff in YouTube and for whatever reason last week, we didn't get the message, but she wrote in again today, but I have your questions from before Miriam. Um, she's got a 18 year old daughter who's pre-verbal that she's currently homeschooling. Um, she has uh, joined uh, skills um, and she has to take her everywhere in an Uber, uh, instead of public transportation, because she might have a sudden meltdown. Um, and she thinks that's because of communication, but she says her question is for you, Dr. Doreen. I recently hired an ABA consultant and instead of assessing my daughter, he was flirting with the teachers. Well, that is a big sign. After two years, uh, after two hours of observation, he charged me 500 pounds and sent me one page. I live in London and I'm really disappointed with the services or lack of services. He also sent me an email insisting that he wants to train my daughter's teachers. Well, he was flirting with them. Let's think about that. I informed him that I want him uh, to train me and he wants to train the teachers instead. Many thanks. My yeah. head is exploding on your behalf, Miriam. Yeah, that's so disturbing. It's just ridiculous. It's very upsetting. Um, I am glad that you are on skills. Although if I remember correctly, I believe you had written that you're using skills developing. Yes, and, right. And I recommend that you try skills living, which is for older individuals, 
and the lessons are quite different. I actually really like skills living a lot because it is written in a much kind of more adaptive format and it does focus on skills that are really good for the age group, 18, 20, and so on. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, sorry that you've had that experience. It's really unfortunate. And these are the individuals that give ABA a bad reputation. Absolutely. That's gross. Um, somebody wrote in and said, I have dyspraxia, ADHD, and Asperger traits. Have you heard of this combination? Um, and they also wanted to know when the chat is live. The chat is live when we are live. I mean, it's live all the time, but it's not reactive unless we're live. Um, yeah. We don't have a way on our current chat on our website. We don't have a way of writing back to you. It's on my Christmas wish list, but we don't have that yet. Um, so I can only respond back here. I have no way of writing back to you unless you send me your private information, which you can do. And, you know, you can always write me. If you have a question for Dr. Grand Pichet or about anything that we talk about here on the show, anyone can write to me at Shannon at autism live.com. And, um, and I always say, you know, write and write frequently. And if for some reason I don't get back to you, don't think you're pestering me or that I'm ignoring you. Think that I'm bad at my email management and email me again, or I'm bad at technology because those things are all true, but I do care. Shannon at autism live.com. Um, so anyway, have we, uh, the dyspraxia, ADHD and Asperger's? Yeah. What do you think? So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can have, you know, it's, it used to be pretty difficult to diagnose or actually it was not allowed to diagnose, uh, any of the ASDs, including Asperger's, together with ADHD, but that has since changed. And uh, yeah, of course, you can also have dyspraxia along with those, unfortunately, and it just makes it quite difficult for learning to take place. Uh, but I would recommend, because I've seen the most amount of progress, especially when there's ADHD and depending, and now there are such great medications for ADHD. There are, in fact, more and more medications coming out that are non-stimulant, um, but they do help with attending and attention. So depending on what type of ADHD, um, I would probably recommend some form of medication because it does help. And then uh, with Asperger's, of course, you have capability to learn quite well, um, dyspraxia might make it a little bit difficult, but if, if the people working together or providing you services are aware of all of those things, there should be no problem and you should do very, very well. Okay. Uh, we, we got a couple of different people writing in about um, violent behavior. Some pointed away and some pointed to. Somebody who wrote it in said, I have a three-year-old that has ADHD and autism and he gets really violent and he started hitting me and throwing things at me, kicking and screaming. Then when we tell him no, if he's doing something that can hurt him and I say, get down because you're going to get hurt, he gets out of control. How do we help him to get to... Uh, help him to not get to that level. Sorry. Yeah. It's really tough. I, I, first of all, kind of like giving you a big hug because it is very, very difficult when our kids are little and they're kind of out of control and especially out of control and doing unsafe behaviors. So, you know, part of the whole concept of 
ABA with or just like the way that we deal with challenging behaviors, again, is to figure out what the function is. And usually you'll find that the function is the child trying to communicate something. And usually the thing that they're trying to communicate is either access to something or avoidance of something. And that's really kind of simplifies it, but it ends up being one of those two things most of the time. Now, access to something uh, could be, I'm tantruming because I want that toy. And when I tantrum, you generally try to give me every toy there is, or everybody gets scared and I get whatever I want. Or it could be uh, attention. So it's kind of like, I don't know how to get you to come over and give me a hug or calm me down. But every time I tantrum, it seems like you do that. So I'm going to tantrum because I want you to come over and give me attention. Could also be avoidance of demands. So for example, I'm going to tantrum because I don't want to do what you just asked me to do. So when I tantrum, I get to get out of whatever that demand was. I don't, people kind of leave me alone. And so it's very effective. So it's usually one of those things. And when you figure out what it is, the key to getting rid of the tantrum behavior or the whatever the challenging behavior is, is to actually not give the thing that the child is trying to communicate, but instead to teach the child an easier way to communicate that, an easier, more appropriate way to communicate what they were trying to achieve and then give it to them, okay? So that's kind of the theory behind it. Now, it's very, very hard to do that when your child is doing unsafe behavior. So the way to avoid that is you got to baby-proof the whole house. Like, you have to make it so that your child cannot do those unsafe behaviors because, you know, there's no avoiding giving attention when a child climbs on top of something. You kind of have to prevent it, right? So if there's any way of preventing that, blocking that from happening, that's the way to go. And hey, believe me, I know it's easier said than done because a lot of times you just don't have someone there to be watching the child all the time. Um, which is, again, another reason that it's important to have access to ABA providers because they are present and they can help to break these negative kind of behaviors that are impossible to control when it's just a person, one parent also taking care of everything else in life. So, I mean, that's a kind of a roundabout answer, but but that's the way to deal with any challenging behavior. There you go. Ari has written in and said, my son is seven and is doing great, but I'm just overwhelmed and feel defeated at times. This is for the yeah. long haul and I'm tired. <laughs> Excuse me. I love my son, but I'm struggling with the forever of it all. And we are big hugs for you, Ari. Oh my God, I completely understand that. I'm so, so, so sorry that you're going through this. You know, I first, first suggestion is one day at a time. Okay. First suggestion is don't think of the forever because it doesn't necessarily have to be forever, right? There's, first of all, our kids make tremendous progress. Sometimes I tell parents, even if you did nothing, 
our children change a lot. And a lot of times things get better when they're teenagers so or after the teen years. So nothing is forever. And uh, don't scare yourself. That that's that's one of the uh, what we call cognitive distortions, which is this all or none thinking where we minimize all the positive things. Just our mind does this, and we maximize the negative things, and so then it just looks like such a dismal life that we get depressed. So catch yourself, try to catch yourself when your mind is producing these distortions and you're seeing everything as dismal. Now, if you are already there, this tells me that you are under a lot of strain and that we, you need to pay attention to yourself for a while. And this is so difficult because as parents, we tend to just attend to our kids. And it's, it's almost like we don't want to feel good if our kids are struggling, right? So, but you have to have the mental and physical fortitude um, to help your child, to, but more importantly, for yourself right now. So you, you need to attend to yourself, which often starts with asking for help. So, you know, wonderful job writing into us. I really appreciate that you've done that. And maybe spending this hour with us during the week is also to some extent helpful. But I suggest that you also ask family members if they can give you another hour or two, maybe an hour a day where you just have your own time, um, whether it is to go for a walk, take a long bath, uh, do some cooking, just lay down, you know, whatever it is that you, it will refresh your body and your soul and your mind. Maybe read a book that is helpful at night when you're going to sleep, put on some podcasts that are, you know, going to be healing and helpful and helping you become stronger. Take care of yourself um, and in order to do that, you have to get some help. You have to get help from your spouse, from your friends, family members. And there's no shame in that. Don't be embarrassed about asking for help. You're doing it so that you can be strong enough to keep going. And like I said, one step at a time, Ari, don't look at the future because it's apparently it is causing you fear. Yeah. I, I didn't know anything about ABA until my son was diagnosed with autism. But then it was interesting to me because as they were teaching me what to do for him and what to look at for him, I would always like try to put it through my filter for me. And, and so it was fascinating for me because when we talk about kids who are, you know, start engaging in challenging behaviors and we're looking at all the reasons why they're engaging in challenging behaviors. And some of it is that they need attention. Some of them is th that their environment is not rewarding enough, right? Yes. All these different things. We need to look at ourselves that way too. And the fact of the matter is, is that part of what Dr. Grampichet is saying is that because you are such an amazing parent and you've put so much into your kid, you've stopped making your environment rewarding enough. And it has to be more rewarding for you. Now, he wrote in more and said the function of his behavior typically start off as automatic reinforcement. But when I block unsafe behaviors, the function becomes attention seeking and it's tiring. It's really, really tiring. And, and, and I 
hear in this parent that you're on this treadmill and you are not ever seeing an end. But we did a whole show on this last week about prioritizing fun. And one of the things that we talked about is that every once in a while, you, you know, it's important to have a schedule, important to make the visual schedule, but every once in a while, it's important to just stop everything and go, what would make this fun for me today as a yep. parent? Yep. And and if you were, to, and I, our brains are these amazing supercomputers, if you ask it the positive assumptive question, what would make today fun and then do it every once in a while. Our, I, you can talk more about what that does for us chemically, Dr. Grampy Shea. Oh we gosh. need that. You definitely need that. And it's so, so, so important to do that for yourself once in a while. It's just critical. And can I ask, because we're out of time now, but can I yes. ask that you please... I want to ask this parent to write in again next time because I'd like to know more about the automatic behaviors and why we're trying to block them. What are they exactly? So let's talk about those next time because uh, it seems like blocking them turns into an attention-seeking whole thing, and I'm wondering what the behaviors are to begin with. And you can actually email me ahead of the show so that Dr. Grampyshay can look at that for next week. Uh, we, we're out of time. Uh, and I'm so sorry that we didn't get to the question about Risperidol. Um, but uh, Dr. Grampichet is on TikTok, although she's on vacation this week. So I would assume you're doing less TikTok this week. Well, I'm also I'm also kind of trying to catch up with Instagram because there's a lot of people writing in also and asking questions on Instagram, and I'm happy to answer them. So actually, this week I will be answering a bunch of stuff on Instagram as well. Okay. So there you go. And that's on the screen. You can go to ask Dr. Doreen either on TikTok or Instagram and connect with her directly. And you can always email me, Shannon at autism-live.com. Um, and I just appreciate you guys so much. Uh, oh, okay, great. Uh, Ari said that they will write us back. Uh, and Amanda says she's been sharing your Instagram like crazy. So Thank absolutely you. love that. Great. Uh, we are totally out of time, but I am back tomorrow uh, and we're doing one of our shows that's a parent to parent show where we're just going through a whole thing. So and try not to cringe, Dr. Grampy Shea, but tomorrow I'm explaining from a parent's point of view how, what toilet training uh, can be and what the frustrations are for parents um, during toilet training and what are the parts where they tell us what to do that we go, oh yeah, I'm not doing that. That doesn't work. But why yeah. we should do what they tell us to do and how you can do it without making yourself crazy. So we're taking on the toilet training thing tomorrow um, from a parent perspective. So um, hopefully nobody cringes. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, and then we have a wonderful uh, Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy back on Thursday. So we'll see you back here tomorrow, you guys. And we'll see you, Dr. Grampy Shane, next week. Much love to you. Thank you. We adore you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you to all of you for being here. See you tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone. <laughs>